Okay, so Bob, Bob Gratchett. To me, he is the most revolutionary, controversial character of this whole story. All right, uh, and you may look at him and think, well, he was just a, a whipped little puppy, always, you know, just being beaten up and beaten. Well, yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute or two. But, but back when this story was written in the mid 1800s, uh, up to that time, and uh, and even after for a good bit, uh, what, what was going on in the world? And uh, there were actually even poor laws in England. And uh, what was going on in the world is people really looked down on those who were poor. Now, I know that's still around today somewhat. But the thought was, is if you're poor, it is your fault. Now, okay, we're always going to have people who, instead of working, would rather live off what somebody else is doing, okay? We're always going to have lazy people. We're always going to have people who want to wait until tomorrow instead of taking care of things today. We're always going to have those people. But... In those days, people really looked down on the poor and said, it's all your fault. And so there were, there were some really, really crazy laws and different things that they did. And so what Charles Dickens did when he wrote this story and, and he put a poor person in this character of Bob Cratchit is, is he put a face, a different face on the poor. And he put a different face on Christmas. A lot of people say that Charles Dickens was actually the creator of the Christmas that you and I enjoyed the, the weeks leading up to Christmas in that yeah, there have always been people who would try to do good at Christmas, but it's even more of a thing today uh, that, that we really lead up to Christmas, that we have a Christmas season, and that we take care of one another, and we look for those who are less fortunate. And a lot of, that, a lot of people point that back to this particular story, that this story actually did have a big impact on, on our Christmases today, okay? So, so Bob Cratchit is this guy who does... does br- present us with hope today. Let's talk about him for just a moment. Okay, he is the clerk to the meanest miser in town, maybe the meanest miser in the world. Okay, just a reminder, this is a story of fiction, right? Okay, didn't really happen, all right? But it's written as if it really happened. And, uh, and he is the clerk. So Bob Cratchit is the clerk of the meanest miser in possibly the world at that time. Uh, he is, you know, working in uh, horrible conditions. He is overworked, 12-hour uh, days, uh, and, and now during Christmas and, and, uh, and the, the, um, the, the winter there that, that he's uh, in a frigid office and uh, not even able to really have True heat. I mean, you see the picture there. He's trying to warm his hands by the can- candlestick. Now, now, how how cold do you have to be that you're getting a little bit of heat off of a candlestick? That's actually something that's in the story that it was that cold. And and he works long hours, uh, underpaid. He was making, a, you know, and and I don't know a lot about British money, especially 150 years plus ago. So I had to Google this and look up and research a couple of places to see. And the best I can come up with is he was working 60 hours a week, 12-hour days. He was working 60 hours a week for the equivalent in today's U.S. dollars of about 100, maybe $105 a week, 60 hours. Now, granted, he didn't have all the toys we have, right? And all the subscriptions to all those little things that we have to do on our phone and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so he didn't have to have quite as much money as you and I have to have today, maybe in some things. But still, 60 hours a week for about $100 in, in, our, present day, in our present day dollars. So he was underpaid. He was abused. I meant the, uh, 
his, his boss, he snapped at everybody. He didn't like anybody being happy. He didn't want Bob Cratchit, you know, even if he didn't act miserable, he didn't want him to also act happy. He wanted to make sure, you know, he didn't act even happy about anything going on. He was, he was abused. He was mistreated. He was taken advantage of, all of those things. And then uh, financially, the stress, all of that just just pouring down on top of him. So now let's talk about his family just a little bit. Well, his family, Bob's family, his two oldest kids, Peter and Belinda, they were already working outside of the home. Uh, and so the way we read in the story, you know, we don't know a lot of this, but we, we, it, it is obvious that they're not, you know, making money to buy their own car they're not, or horse or whatever it is that they would have bought. You know, they're not making their own money. They're making money to help the family just make ends meet. And that's obviously this. Peter's working outside the house. Belinda's working outside the house. As a matter of fact, one, one interesting note in, in the story to just tell you how destitute they were is Peter was excited, overjoyed at his Christmas gift that year. You know what it was? You know what it was? It was his father's dress shirt, a hand-me-down. That was his Christmas gift that year, and he was overjoyed at it. So much so that he was dreaming of just, he was thinking about going out into the park, you know, and walking around in it so everybody could see him in his, in his high-collar new shirt, you know, uh, even though it was a hand-me-down. He was so, so excited about this. This is, this is how they lived. This is how they were barely making ends meet. And here's what Charles Dickens, specifically a quote from the story, here's what he wrote about them. They were not a handsome family. Now, now listen, he's not saying they're ugly, okay? That sounds like a bad thing to write about somebody. That's just in our terms today. That's not what he was saying, okay? He was just saying there really wasn't anything about them that would make you say, I want to be like them. They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty. Uh, at one point, it also says that he, uh, Bob's clothes were threadbare. Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker, so they've pawned things and just to try to make ends meet. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. With all of this going on, yet they were still happy, grateful, and pleased, and contented. How could that happen? Well, here's my contention, and I, and I think you'll see it as we go through this message a little bit further, is it was because of the hope that Bob had in his spirit. Okay, now here is the story then, and this is not the only story, but this is just another story to add to all the stories we have out there of one man who has everything and it's not enough, and a family who has virtually nothing, but they know they have everything they need. Come on, Christians. That's who we are. It doesn't matter how, how what we have in our pockets. It doesn't matter how, how big the, the stack is around the Christmas tree. It doesn't matter how much stuff we have. This life isn't about toys, but it's about the hope and the joy and the peace that we all have right in here. This is what it's about. So let us remind ourselves. And as we're talking about the spirit of, of, of Christmas, let us remind ourselves that that's not what it's about, that it's about this that's right in here. But one more person just to mention to you and Bob's family before we go on is Tiny Tim. Uh, this was obviously the name they called him because it's capital T, Tiny, capital T, Tim. I mean, it's like Tiny was part of his name. I'm sure his parents didn't name him Tiny Tim when he was first born, but he became known as Tiny Tim. And Tiny Tim was sick. He was sick, and he was going to die from his sickness. He, uh, he, was, he was so sick that his hands had begun to wither, that, uh, that he had to walk with the aid of a crutch, that he was in a, an iron body brace. And, uh, and, and, and we also learn from the story that it is obvious when you see how this whole thing ends up, that Tim 
If he were to die from this illness, it wouldn't be because of the illness, but it was because his family didn't have the money to be able to get proper health care for him and the medicines that he needed. So whatever the illness was, it wasn't the thing that was going to kill him, but it was the finances, which probably put more weight on his dad and his mom to try and take care of things in a better way. But really, they weren't even talking about it. I mean, it doesn't even come up in the story. They weren't talking about getting him a better doctor. They weren't talking about these kinds of things. It's almost as if there was no hope. And then Bob Cratchit, you remember the story, right? Uh, I went into the story a little bit more last week, kind of set it up. If you, if you missed that, hopefully you know the story. But, but, but uh, Scrooge is going around, and he, he's, he knows Bob Cratchit because he works for him, but he's now really introduced to the family, and this spirit is taking him around. And so he asks the spirit, he says, tell me, spirit, tell me about the boy. Will, will, he, will he live? Will he live? And this is what the ghost says. I see a vacant seat. In the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Boy, Pastor, you're really doing a good job this morning of exciting us with a good Christmas sermon, aren't you? But I know this is where we live. This is reality. You know, we dress it up really good on Sunday morning. You know, we come in and, and, you know, we had a tough week all week long. Somebody walks up, shakes their head, and says, how you doing? Say, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm blessed. You know, and we're, we're struggling inside. I, 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 told, I told Donna when she came in, she, she said, she said, well, I, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm making it. I'm handling it. I'm, I'm okay. And I said, well, thank you for that because I called everybody out for lying at church, you know, every Sunday morning. I mean, we, we do. We struggle with things. This, this is life. You know, this is life. Some of you, you have jobs like this. It's like you, you go to work and, and, and your job just devours every bit of joy that you can possibly try to bring into your life and your job just kind of eats up. Amen? Okay, if your boss is here, don't raise your hand right now, okay? But we, we do that, right? And, and I mean, we have jobs like that that just tear us apart and eat us alive. And, and then, you know, by the time, you know, by the time, you know, lunch is hit on, on Monday, you know, all the joy that maybe we've been able to, to bring together on a Sunday and over the weekend, you know, is gone. And now we just got to try to hang on to get to the end of the week. Or financially, you're struggling. And listen, unless you were just born with some silver spoon in your mouth, Every person in this room, unless you were just born so rich that you never had to worry about anything because your family had money, every person in this room has struggled financially. And what happens is we, if we're not careful, we'll get to a place that, that you know, we, we live hand in mouth for so long, just hand to mouth, hand to mouth. We'll, we'll live that way for so long. We'll forget that there is any other way to live. Come on, that, that's where we get to sometimes. And some of you are there right now. It's like you've lost all hope that there will ever be enough, that there'll ever be a job good enough. You, you begin to, loss, to lose hope. And I'm even talking, I'm, I'm talking to Christians too, that, that if we're not careful, we, we will uh, get, get so weighted down by all of the stuff of this world, we'll forget that there, that there is hope. And some of you, though, like Bob Cratchit, you've been abused, but maybe even worse. Maybe, yeah, the mental abuse and the... the, the uh, verbal abuse, but some of you have been physically abused. Some of you have even been sexually abused. A, a lot of you in this, in this crowd right here, right now, have been. And for some of you, it's happening. And you're dealing with that, and you're living with that. You see, I, I, it sounds like maybe I didn't really bring you an exciting, well, hang on to that. Okay, we're getting there, I hopefully. But I, I want us to be real today for a few moments. 
some of us are dealing with some really heavy issues, like debilitating illnesses, sicknesses. I mean, you know, like, like cancer. I, I mean, you know, okay, there are a few cancer situations that maybe they were lifestyle choices, you know, and somebody ended up with. But for the most part, all the cancers that are out there, it's like, it's like they just, they, they, without just any, any reason, just randomness, they just attack the innocent victims and, and just say, okay, your one's going to get cancer. You're going to get cancer. And, and, you know, and it's like, I don't know if there's, if there's a, a worse disease on, on maybe a family except maybe to, except maybe to watch this. And, and maybe, but I was telling somebody, several people this year, I said, you know, 20-something years that we've pastored, 25-plus years that we've pastored, we've seen a lot of cancers. And we've seen a lot of Alzheimer's. And, say, and you know what? I'd, I'd say those are two of the things that uh, just really, really pull families down and, and just you know, really put you in a place where you wonder if there's any hope because, you know, cancer, you know, if it doesn't get better. It gets worse and it gets worse. You know, unless there's a healing, it, it, it just gets worse. Or, or Alzheimer's, it doesn't get better. It, it gets worse and it gets worse. And, and, it, and it pulls you down. And, and you look and you say, well, there's no hope because this isn't getting better. This isn't getting better. This is getting worse. And so hope begins to kind of slip through our fingers. And then some of you have also lost loved ones. Even this time of year, that's such a sad thing. Such a sad thing. And, and you know, it came to my mind just now that, you know, I, I just want to mention the Barrows family. And I want to ask you to pray over the Barrows family. That Delane may lose his mom this week. And, you know, this, this is such a sad time for some of our friends, a couple, young couple from Texas um, that I stayed connected to through Facebook, I found out this week they lost their precious baby. Horrible time. Horrible to lose a, a baby at any time. And then also there was a lady that, uh, in, in a group, that I, a Facebook group that I'm a member of. I'll never, never meet this lady probably face-to-face. She's just a, in, in one of the groups that I'm a member of. And she was talking about Christmas, something totally separate. And she said, but I don't really celebrate Christmas a lot because I'm the mother of a murder victim. And she said, so this is a really painful time of the year for me. Some of you are dealing with stuff like that. Maybe it's not about the death this year, but somebody who ought to be here for Christmas, and they're not. You know, one, uh, as they say, one of the worst things is, you know, parents aren't supposed to bury their children, and some of you have had to do that. So does it sound like a downer? No, I just want to set you up for something. This is where we live. This is the reality. And Kurt was uh, sharing, our, uh, Kurt Sanford, who's over our prayer team, he was sharing with the prayer team, just real quickly trying to say, hey, here's what the message is about today, da 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 And he said, he said that our problems in this world are real. Here's how he summed it up, what I'm preaching to you today. He said, our problems in this world are real, but so is our God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because on that first Christmas night, hope was born in that stable. You know, no matter how heavy, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, no matter how long you've dealt with whatever you're dealing with, Hope was born that night. And what we've got to do, you know, with, with all the things that I've told you about Bob Cratchit and his family and, and thinking about all the stuff that you're doing, yeah, we're dealing with stuff like that. But what every one of us has to decide is if we're going to let that stuff dictate how we feel 
and how we live the rest of our lives, how it's going to impact everything else, or if we're going to be the ones who are impacting the stuff that is happening to our families. If we're going to have the hope, because we lo- we're going to lose hope so easily. You know, and, and I think a lot of times what God calls me to do as a pastor, what my job is on Sunday morning is to stir within you the hope, the joy, the, the, the promises, the, 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 the belief and the faith that is there, to, to stir that within you. But you know what? We only get to do that for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes maybe on a Sunday morning. So you know what? You've got to do it the rest of the week. You've got to stir that hope. You've got to say, wait, it's Christmas time. And, and, and hope was born that Christmas night in that stable, but it's also been born in my heart as a child of God, and I will not let hope die. No matter what you're going through, you can't let the hope die. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter if it looks like it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, you've got to believe because hope was born there. And I know what's really easy for us to do is to see our problem as being special, and it, and it is, but to see our problem as being worse than everybody else's problems. You know, because, you know what they say, right, about, about minor surgery? Y'all, y'all know what minor surgery is, right? It's what somebody else is having, right? Or like a small problem then, it's what somebody else is dealing with. A small struggle is what somebody else is dealing with. And I know, but, but we get in the middle of them. You know, I, I've, I've, I've told you this before, but let me tell you again. You know, my, my buddy who's a, who's a counselor, and the first couple of times that, that he and I met, he finally got... The, he finally got the idea after the first couple of times. First couple of times he and I just met. He said, hey, we're just hanging out, going to have a, a cup of coffee right here, and just a couple of friends talking. I said, absolutely not. I didn't come to talk to a friend. I wanted somebody who was outside of my situation who could look and say, yeah, here, 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 here's how you can fix this. Here's how you, you could do better here or whatever. I need somebody to challenge me who's outside because I'm in the middle of my situation. I can't see it. Now, I don't know. I'm looking. Does anybody here say, so, pastor talks to a counselor? Yeah, pastors have to talk to people because, see, we have all our problems. We have all your problems too. So we got to talk to people, you know? So yeah, so yeah, I've got somebody to talk to. And you know why? Because I get in those situations and I can't see the way out. I can't, you know, sometimes you can't think straight, right? Because you're thinking and you're planning something and it ain't going to work there. Now, but you can't tell that because you're in the middle. And so that's why our problems look the worst because we're the ones in the middle of them. But I want, I want you to see one more thing, just, just a little bit longer. I want, I want to take you to the darkness for just a little bit longer. I want, I, want to show, I want to shine a light on this darkness for you just a little bit more because I, I want you to understand how powerful the hope of God is, okay? Because this world that Jesus was born into, it was not a perfect world. The, the, you know, we may think ours is the worst. Let me show you how bad it was. This world that, that is, all the Israelis were living in when Jesus was born, let, let me show it to you. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies about what the world will look like when, Je- the, when Jesus is born. And, uh, and then in, in the book of John, the, the, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, when, when uh, he begins to sing a song to praise God and, and glorify God for the birth of his son, he, he quotes, he, he remembers this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. And here Matthew, as he is, as he is writing down and recounting the, the story of Christ's life, he also includes it here, Matthew 4, 16. And, it's, and he, this, is, this is from the, the prophecy of Isaiah. The people who sat in darkness, see that word sat? You know what that, sat, that means you weren't passing through. These people didn't walk through darkness. They sat in darkness. There was no progress happening. They had been in darkness for a while and nothing was happening. Nothing was getting better. These people who had sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now he's talking about Jesus. 
And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, okay, this is kind of more, maybe uh, prettier, more flowery words, than, but kind of the same words that, that David used when he wrote Psalm 23, right? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, but I like this. Well, the land where death casts its shadow. This is what Isaiah said Israel would be like when Jesus was born. A land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. So this light shine in the, in the middle of the, the, this, this darkness place. So let, let me show you just a little bit of this because I, I want to I lay a couple more things out for you here because, I wanna, because it relates to you, I think, some of you and some of the stuff that you're dealing with. He said they lived under oppression, but their oppression wasn't just oppression. It was oppression layered on top of oppression. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had layers of problems? Not problems. It's almost like an onion. You had to peel off one problem so you get to the next problem until you kept peeling off till you could finally get to the problem. I mean, you couldn't even work on the problem first because you had all these other problems. It was like layers. That's where Israel was. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talks about their religious oppression, okay? Now, listen, I didn't say spiritual, okay? Spiritual and religious are two different things. You can be religious and not have any bit of spirituality about you, okay? And they were under a religious oppression. Jesus said the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. These, these Pharisees, they were the teachers of the law, but they had misused the law. They had twisted the words, and they had added so many uh, uh, traditional things to the law that, that the Word of God says at one point, it says that, you know, you've added so much, you've made it so hard, you can't even live up to it. That's what, that's what Jesus said about this. So, so let, let me tell you about this oppression, about this oppression right here. Um, the Israelites, they, they lived under, uh, under this oppression of, of religious, religiosity, uh, and, and Israel was splintered in those days. Now, there are four major splinter groups then. Uh, there was a sermon that I preached uh, at 2911 uh, some time ago, a couple of years ago or so, and we actually went through, I think, about nine different groups that uh, they were actually splintered. But there were four major ones. Okay, let me just show these to you real quick. The first was the Pharisees, that they had so many traditions they couldn't even live up to them. The second was the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, they're kind of like college football. You know, college football fans who don't really like Alabama, and they don't really like Auburn. They just hate one of them, so they pull for the other team. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know people like that? Yeah, some of y'all are nudging people, like and looking over here. You know people like that? That's kind of the Sadducees. You know, the way I look at them, it's like, almost like they just hated everything that the Pharisees did. You know, they just hated that. You know, and, and, and so they didn't like anything that the Pharisees did. They were anti-Pharisee, you know, and, and one of the things, they, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Like, you know, when we die, that's it. There's nothing else ever. Okay, so that's the Sadducees. Then there are the Essenes. Now, these are the, these are the guys who were so devoted to God that they, they, they actually separated themselves from society, almost like monks. They went up into the hills. They were probably the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. You ever heard of them, the Dead Sea Scrolls? They were probably the ones who wrote that, but they, they separated themselves. They were so serious about being devoted to God, and they were praying for God's deliverance from the Roman Empire. And then the fourth major splinter group was, was, uh, was the zealots. Now, and really, they weren't very religious at all. Their, their religiosity was really all about what they could do because they wanted to also deliver Israel from the Roman Empire, but the way they wanted to do it was with violence. They were, they were like little... 
religious guerrillas, you know, going in with violence and, and inciting riots and those things. So, so this, this is the world that Jesus was born into, a world of religious oppression. And whereas today, like, you know, you and I, we have to, you know, when we go vote, we might have to declare if we're a d- Democrat or a Republican. In those days, it wasn't just a pollster. You had to tell that too. I mean, you really, people knew if you were, if you belonged to the Pharisee sect or, or the Sadducees or the Essenes or, or, or the Zealots or if you, if you supported them. They knew that. And so this was a time of religious oppression. Okay, but secondly, I'm trying to hurry in, in, these, in these last two right here. Secondly, there was also this, this king, this local king, Herod. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about the villains, the, the Christmas villains, and I talked a lot about Herod. So I don't want to say a lot here, but just remind you real quick, and if you didn't hear that sermon, make sure you go back and listen to it, a podcast, okay? Matthew 2.16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. This was a horrible, horrible, brutal man. That, that, and there's so many more things I could tell you, but I said them two weeks ago, so go listen to that if you missed it, about how brutal this man was. And, but this was the local guy, okay? Now, I've heard people say before that we'd be all right, if, you know, if Washington just do what Washington does in Washington, just leave us alone here, we'd be a lot better off. You know, you ever heard anybody say that? Or have you ever said that? You know, you know we'd, okay, here's the problem. Herod, you couldn't do that. Herod lived right down the street. He was right here. And, and he was so paranoid that he'd get an idea and he'd be all in your business and maybe killing your kids. Because I could, that, that's the oppression they lived under. The, 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 the first level of government oppression was that. But then there was another level of government oppression because he was just the local king, not of the whole empire. That was Caesar. Okay, and, and, and that we find in Luke chapter 2, beginning of what most of us call the Christmas story. You know, the one that, that Linus tells on the Charlie Brown special, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Okay, so now this is the empire. He's the guy over the whole empire. Now he's in Rome, and so maybe he doesn't bother you as much as Herod does. I mean, he's right here. But man, he turns your life upside down. He decided everybody's going to be taxed. Now imagine, imagine you hear that today. You've got to be taxed. What you've got to do to be taxed is you've got to go back to the place, whatever city you were born in, your hometown when you were born, you've got to go back to that city. He said, well, no big deal. Yes, it is. You can't use a plane, a train, or an automobile because I didn't have any of those, right? You've got to get a horse, a camel, a donkey, or just walk to get there. And when you get there, you've got to have enough money to pay the taxes. And listen, this was, nobody had any notice of this. This wasn't like April 15th and, and everybody's got to you know, put some money back. If you're going to owe taxes, you know, you've got to put some money or have it withheld from your check. No, this was like all of a sudden, everybody's got to gather some money up and get on a donkey or something and ride. That's why... Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem in the first place because that was the city of his heritage. That was the city of his lineage. That's why they ended up there, and that's why they had to travel there. So so they were under this oppression as well. Oppression under oppression under oppression. All these levels of oppression, okay? But here's the maybe even the, the, the biggest thing. It starts out looking like a good thing, but here's the biggest thing of the darkness. A promise. In Malachi chapter 4, a promise. Verse 5, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, when he says I'm sending the prophet Elijah, a lot of people then thought he meant he was going to resurrect Elijah out of the grave. But no, he was just kind of using Elijah as, I'm going to send someone who, like Elijah, is going to be a prophet and is going to tell you about the coming of the Lord. And then in John chapter 1, it's fulfilled. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. So now it's fulfilled. John the Baptist is that 
Elijah-type prophet who comes and he tells everybody that Jesus is coming. You know, they're just a few months, they were born just a few months apart, and, and as they become adults, he's telling Jesus about Jesus, and Jesus is about to step on the scene and, 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 to, and to touch the world, you know, bring, bring the light into the darkness, all this. And so you say, wow, God makes the promise, and then God fulfills the promise. That's amazing. That's awesome, right? Except for this. Now, in your Bible, if you open up your Bible, you'll see the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. It's not there by accident. It is actually the last one, best we can tell, written. It was actually the very last one penned, chronologically speaking. The whole Old Testament's not in chronological order. It's actually gathered together in, in certain things. But the last book there is Malachi. And then the first books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John of the New Testament. You know, and they all tell the same story about the birth of Jesus and then his life. So they all tell the same story. So they're, they're all at the same time, yet Malachi is right here. And from Malachi to the Gospels was 400 years. Malachi was written 400 years before Jesus Christ was born. So this great promise of, I'm going to send a prophet like Elijah, happens 400 years before he actually shows up and before Jesus is born. This, and what happened during those times? Uh, a lot of people call it the 400 years of darkness, the 400 years of silence, because for 400 years, no one heard the voice of God. Not one, not one thing. You know, it, uh, throughout the Old Testament, God would move from time to time on a man here or a woman there. Nowadays, he says he's poured out his spirit on all flesh, everyone who wants to receive. But in those days, it was just God moved. But for 400 years, not one. No one, according to Wikipedia, no one heard a word to share with anybody else. No one received anything of joy, of hope. 400 years. That's generations. That's several generations of people who lived and died and never heard a word from God. This is the darkness that Jesus was born into. Why do you paint this picture for us, Pastor? Because I want you to know it is so easy to look at our lives and say, God can't help me. But if God could reach them in this darkness, he can reach you and yours. If God can reach, whatever seems hopeless in your life, whatever you're dealing with, whatever it, it looks like, no matter how bad it is, if he can do this for them, see, because if we go back to our story about Bob Cratchit, you know, as bad as it was, one thing, one thing changed everything. That, you know, and, and listen, Bob Cratchit's faith was not in Scrooge, but Scrooge was the one. When, when Scrooge's attitude changed, he, he started helping this family, and Tiny Tim got, got help, and Tiny Tim lived. He didn't die like the ghost that would happen if the shadows didn't change. The shadows changed. Why? Because Scrooge changed. But, but Bob Cratchit's faith wasn't in Scrooge. If you look into the story, you will see that his faith was in God. On the, on the day, the Christmas day, we see that, that, that uh, Bob and Tim have come from church, and, and, and the mom asks and says, how was Tim in church today? Now, I don't know why mom didn't go to church. You know, I got some problems with her about that, right, you know, on Christmas day when they did. But the fact was that Bob took Tim to church, and they were there, and, and he talked about how, how inspiring Tim was to him and to the people that were around him. This was the faith that Bob had. You know, see, you really can't separate the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of Christ. They are one and the same. But we have tried. 
We have tried. We've done everything we can to make the spirit of Christmas something different than the spirit of Christ. But everything we have in the spirit of Christmas is because of Jesus Christ who came. Everything, all the joy that we have, all the peace that we have, this change of attitude that we try to have to just to bless others more and want to give and want to, all of this, it didn't come because of a day. It came because of Jesus Christ. Because one thing happened. And so, and then we go back to Israel then. Israel, everything changed because of Israel. Now, because of Jesus that one night. But now, I, I know you say, well, not forever. No, not for everybody. That's last week's sermon. So if you missed that one, go back and listen to it at the podcast, okay? Everything didn't change for everybody because everybody wasn't listening. Everybody wasn't paying attention. Everybody didn't notice. Everybody wasn't in tune. Everyone did not embrace the hope that was born in the stable that night. But for those who did, everything changed. One thing happened and changed everything. One thing happened. How, how could this be? Okay, can I tell you how this can be? Because if it's a God thing, one thing is enough. Can I get an amen right there? If it's a God thing, one thing is enough. And so those, those shepherds that came and saw Jesus laying there in the manger, when they left, they said, let's go tell everybody what we have seen. Something was changing inside of them because they didn't miss it. They did embrace it. They did say, yes. This is, so I'm telling you this morning, stir it up. Stir up the hope for those of you who have been man, beaten down so much. Stir up the hope again. Okay, so let's. Yeah, let's talk about us then, because it's so easy for us to get beaten down. Let's stir up the hope. All right, can I read you one more, one more little passage of Scripture? Just use it this morning. Let's use it to, to stir up the hope again. This is Isaiah also, that one who prophesied so much about Jesus. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. i got to stop right here, okay? Who? To who? To the Son of God. The Son of God was born to who? To us. Oh, I, I, know, I know it was important to Mary and Joseph, right? Uh, the birth of, of a, a baby in a family is so exciting. Right? We're about to have a birth in, in our family. Well, David's not pregnant in case some of y'all didn't know. Okay, it's our daughter. Okay. Uh, we're, but we're about to have a, a baby born into our family, okay? A, a, a new grandchild. And I'm excited about this. Little Adeline Rose is coming, you know, in just a few more days. I'm excited about this. But the, the, the real important part was not that Mary and Joseph were about to have a baby, but the Son of God had not just come to them, but had come to us, to me. I mean, so you and I, we can say, the Son of God has come to me. He didn't just come to die on a cross. He has come to be born in my life and, and to birth hope into my life, to birth joy into my life, to birth peace into my life. So, so unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. No matter what uh, Caesar thinks, no matter what presidents thinks, and no matter what halls of Congress all over the world may think, no matter what kings may think, the government of this world has been given by the Father to Jesus. It has been put on his shoulders. And there is nothing that can happen without him saying yay or nay to it. So in, in all of my troubles, I can say my confidence and my trust is in him. Why do I need to be concerned? Why do I need to be worried? Because my hope is in the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. My hope is, is in the one who is called a mighty God, not, not, not a little baby that is born, not, not somebody who can't do anything for me. My hope is in one who is called a mighty God. Can somebody say amen and praise God for that? My hope is in the everlasting Father. My hope for peace is not in just a, 
Not in just a sermon that the pastor preached and tried to stir me up a little bit. Not in some some story that I read or, or a movie that I watched. My hope for peace is found in the Prince of Peace, the one who calls, but the one who the one who steps on the bow of the boat when all the storms are, are raging in our life and just says, Peace be still. How does he do that? Because he's the Prince of Peace. That's the one that my hope is found in. Of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. You know what that means? That means tomorrow when my boss acts like he thinks he's in charge, well, guess what? He doesn't do, get to do anything unless my God says yea or nay to it because he's not, his government is not just as strong tomorrow. as it, the, the strength of his government will continue to increase day after day. So now if you're being abused, if you're in an abusive situation or whatever, the government, the government is on Christ's shoulders. Put your hope and confidence in him and let him push down that other control that is trying to destroy your life. Uh, he will reign on David's throne, and, and God, God sees this as the most important throne in the whole world. Jesus is, uh, is reigning on the, David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteous from that time and on and forever, that, that, that the justice and righteousness will be established today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So whatever is going wrong in your life, if you're overworked, you're underpaid, you're abused, sicknesses, all of that stuff that is happening that isn't fair, it isn't right, he says his justice and his righteousness will go on forever and ever. That, there, why are you sorrow today? Stir up your hope today and realize that he has already established all of this and it's going to get stronger and stronger every day. So we don't need to become weaker in our faith. We should be stronger in our faith every day knowing that he is establishing his government, his kingdom, his peace, his justice, his righteousness more so every single day that we live. Amen? Last thing right there. How's it going to happen? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. How does it happen? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When I read that, there are a lot of days that I struggle. Anybody else? Just me? Okay, just me. One, two, three. There are a lot of days I struggle. But what this verse tells me, and I have to tell you something. When I, when I get to church, seeing your smiling faces, and then seeing your face and remembering what God has done in your life, man, it supercharges me again. No matter how bad my week has been, I get here and I see what God is doing in you. And I just get so excited all over again. How's this going to happen? When I'm going through those tough times, you know what that right there says at the end? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you know how your peace is being taken care of? Do you know how your, your, the wisdom that you need and the direction that you need and the understanding that you you know how it's being taken care of? Do you know the justice and righteousness that you need to show up in your life this week because there's some things happening that aren't right, that need to stop? Do you know how this is the zeal of the Lord? God's not casual about this. He is zealous. He is passionate that you have an amazing, awesome life. He's passionate about sending his son, Jesus Christ, for you, to give to you, like the, the very first of that said, to you. 
God is zealous about that. He's passionate about it. God's not sitting around just hoping it happens. He's trying to get it to you. He's trying. No, all we've got to do is, is not be like the people in Israel that missed it. We've got to embrace it. We've got to hold it. We've got to, we've got to protect it. We've got to uh, do everything we can to not lose that, 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 that hope that is within us, that everything is all right because the passion of the Lord is going to make sure this happens in your life. Wow. Amazing. Can I get you to join me at the front? If uh, you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with the final song and a final prayer. And we'd love to have you join us. If you're comfortable, please come around the front. And I got one last little thing I want to share with you, and, and then we'll pray and we'll sing a final song together. And we'd love to have you join us. And after you get to that spot that you picked to stand in, take another step forward so we get everybody out of the, out of the aisle. <laughs> When I was talking a few minutes ago about showing up on Sunday and seeing your face and remembering what God has done for you and how that just helps me again, there's a reason that really came to my mind today because I've struggled this week. I've, I've battled this week. And I, and I couldn't put a label on it. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have, sometimes you have problems and you can put a name on it. I mean, you, you can tell who, it, I mean, you can tell what it was, right? You know, not, you, you can tell it, it was this, it was this thing. This week I couldn't until this morning. And, and then God, God put the label on it for me. And he said, he, he told me, he said, you're preaching to your congregation about hope today. In the middle of their despair, in the middle of their struggles, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their sorrow, in the middle of all they're dealing with, you're going to preach about hope and so the label was really all of your labels it's like God just gave me a heaviness this week so I'd have something to preach out of because of your heaviness this week you see my label didn't have a, a title on it or anything written you know my heaviness that I had didn't have until this morning but all yours do right you know the labels of all the heaviness, the weights that are on you, the stuff that you're dealing with. Maybe it's because of Christmas in this season. Maybe it's, it has nothing to do with that, but just the stuff that you deal with. Like you're overworked. You got one of those jobs. And man, you, you got to get everything you can right here. Jamie, sing it one more time because I got to get everything I can today because tomorrow I got to go back to that boss. I got to go back to that job. It's going to just tear me apart. Or maybe it's your finances. Whew, it's Sunday. Nobody's, you know, no bill collectors today. It's Sunday. You know, it's a little bit of respite. I don't have to worry about paying that bill till tomorrow. But there's no hope or abuse. Some of you are dealing with that. You did, some of you have dealt with it in such a way and you, can't, you, you like can't get over it. But some of you are still dealing with it right now. I pray right now that if that's you, that you come, please let this prayer team pray over you and that they have the words to pray. They have a scripture. They have a promise they have something within them to pray and believe God because, you know, if you're in an abusive situation, you're there because you have no hope. You're trapped. Bob Cratchit was because he had to have the job. If you're in an abusive situation, it's because you don't know well, there's a way out. You've lost hope. 
We want to pray over you to get out of that, get free from that, and have hope again. Or maybe a sickness, cancers, or whatever is going on in your family, all of those things that are going on, maybe that's your label. That that's why it's hard for you to be happy about Christmas. It's hard for you to get excited. It's hard for you to get into the spirit of the season because of the sickness that's going through your, your family. Or maybe because of death. Maybe you have lost, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you are one of those parents who've had to do the unthinkable and bury a child. Or maybe you've lost a spouse or someone else close to you and it's hard to, maybe that's the label. The death of someone close to you and that's the pain that you're under today. These people standing right here in front of you, they've been praying all week long for this moment. They want to pray with you and believe that God will stir the hope in you again. That yes, these things we walk in today, they're real. But so is our God. So is our God. And Jesus is hope. He is hope. He is hope. Close your eyes with me. Would you just say, maybe to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud, but just say, Jesus is my hope. Make it that personal. Jesus is my hope.